Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed talking about college stuff this morning with Joe Novenson, who's a financial aid consultant. You can find out more about him at vestedacademics.com. They do all sorts of college prep, uh, financial aid consulting, academic coaching, all that good stuff, application process, all that stuff. Um, But we're talking specifically about the cost of college today. How much will college really cost you? talking through some um, numbers and uh, talking about, you know, negotiating with admissions offices and, um, and all, all that stuff. And I, and we just started talking about uh, scholarships. We spent a bit of time on merit-based aid. And um, I, I, I asked you about athletic scholarships because it just doesn't seem to me that they're super common, um, not as common as merit-based award, I'm guessing. Um, but uh, yeah, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about that. And I felt like you needed a few minutes to do that. <laughs> no, of course. So, so yeah. Talk through that. Um, of course. And yeah, I'll, I'll just be upfront. Unless your uh, child's playing for an NCAA Division One school, they're not going to get an athletic scholarship. It's going to be uh, flagged as merit aid, essentially. It's okay. uh, the athletics department talking with uh, admissions and trying to uh, bump up the merit aid so that they're a more attractive option um, to that student athlete. Um, I will say, though, that the dirty little secret um, with these athletic scholarships is that they often put pressure on students and their families to, instead of uh, commit to a regular decision deadline for the admissions process, they have them either apply for early action or even worse, 
early decision, which can be legally binding. Mm. And in that case, if you do end up getting accepted at your early decision school, then you've just lost all of your leverage. You have nothing to compare that school against. Okay. Um, early action, you still have a little bit more wiggle room. You get a decision sooner, but this is the challenge that a lot of families with student athletes find themselves against is that they don't really know if they're getting the best offer because maybe they were overeager, maybe they committed too soon. Maybe they said, of course, we'll apply early decision. We really want our child to be on your team. We want them to, uh, to get right through the door. We want to see them out on that field. But as I said, you kind of put yourself at a disadvantage because now you've shut yourself off from all of those other possibilities to see what your right red financial fit would be, how much these other colleges and universities could have cost if you had just held your horses and maybe applied early action instead or just regular decision. And I know that there's a lot of uh, frenzy right now, especially as uh, November 1st approaches for people to get in their early decision, early action uh, paperwork before the deadline. Mm -hmm. And yes, you are more likely to be accepted if you apply in either of those pools. Um, But yeah, as I said, um, if you apply early decision, that's legally binding. You don't get out of that. And I wouldn't recommend trying to be cute and shopping around. We all saw what happened to Felicity Huffman and Aunt <laughs> Becky. Oh, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we live in a small oh. bubble, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, so colleges, we talk, we talk to each other. So if we find out that somebody got a uh, in on early decision and they're uh, having cold feet about that, yeah, we're going to remind you that you applied early decision. Um, but yeah, if you're applying early action, try to apply to multiple early action schools so you can start making an informed decision ahead of time. Because let's say you apply to one early action school and everything else is regular decision. Maybe you'll have your financial aid for your early action school by December. But by that point, if you applied regular decision everywhere else, you may not hear from the financial aid office till possibly mid to late February, early March. Okay. So it doesn't really give you a lot of time to compare your options before that tuition deposit deadline. So if you have a student athlete that's applying early decision, do they know what the numbers are before they apply? Will they, do they know what the merit-based award would be if you're applying early decision? Yeah. I mean, that's something for them to discuss with admissions if they do apply early decision. And not that I'm discouraging people from going for that, but if you are thinking about applying to a school early decision, definitely have a conversation with the admissions office before you put in that application and ask them, how do you score merit aid? Are you looking at class rank? Are you looking at GPA? Are you looking at test scores? How can I maximize the amount of merit aid that I can qualify for? So I feel better about my decision to apply early decision. Right. Because when you're applying early decision, you don't have your 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 letter yet with your financial aid, right? Exactly. So, and, and if you're accepted, it is what it is, right? It There's is what no, it is. is. Is there any negotiation to be had or no? No, because you're nope. just saying you have no, you're in, you're paying. You're in. You have no leverage. Exactly. Okay. So that's what, that's why it makes sense to do early decision potential early. I'm sorry, early, early action, action. Yeah. With early <laughs> action. And if you did it with multiple schools, you'd be able to negotiate because you'd have multiple offers and you don't have to commit exactly. with early action. You don't have to commit until you have your letter with all the numbers. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But really decision is really reserved for those students that are just Hundred percent. I'm going there. Oh, yeah. I no other option for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay. for the students with tunnel vision. Yeah, so I can't argue against early decision. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, for people who are looking to just, you know, keep their options open and see if they can find the right financial fit for their child, um, then yeah, early action is the way to go. If they're really uh, set on uh, being admitted to that school, there are going to be fewer people that they have to compete against in their early action pool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, regular decision too. I mean, you still have time before the uh, tuition deposit deadline uh, looms to start making that informed decision about whether or not you're really getting the best deal for your child. Are they willing to uh, dip into their uh, wallets and uh, shell out for your kid? If, if you have a student athlete, though, that's being recruited, for example, for a sport, mm-hmm. I wonder if there's there's probably pressure on them oh, to yeah. apply because, you know, if they don't, if they're not applying early decision, are they thinking, well, then they're not making a team, right? They, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I haven't been in this world personally. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I'm it's high pressure. There's, yeah. Oh yeah. There are stakes there. Are, yeah. it, it is a wow. high pressure environment. Yeah. Where, you know, you could easily turn around to the family that's on the fence and say, Hey, listen, you know, I'd love to recruit you. We can discuss merit aid with admissions, but you know, if you're not, committed to it if you're half-hearted about it yeah. there are a lot of other athletes that i can try out uh, makes me sad so thinking that, that, that i know that's where they like twist the knife <laughs> it makes me sad thinking about all the pressures yeah uh, in a young person's life and that's just being one of them i mean that they're still so young at that point oh yeah I, no absolutely and hey i mean like if you're on the fence no. about whether or not you want to play athletics in college intramurals there, there you, you go. go. Yeah. <laughs> There's like club sports too, right? It exactly. Have to be. Yeah. yeah. I just said to my daughter the other day, my, my oldest daughter is 12. She just started middle school. So there's like, oh, wow. Starting to be like a little bit more pressure on her academic wise. Um, and she was just telling me the other day about, um, you know, something that happened in school. She's doing really well, but um, something that happened in school and she wasn't, you know, super happy about it. And she knew that she wasn't going to get a, a good mark for this one particular thing. And I just, you know, my heart went out to her and, you know, she's doing so well and trying so hard. And I was just like, honey, please don't stress about that. You know, you're too young to have stress like that in your life. It's okay if it's not perfect all the time. It just, yeah. Um, I was like, no say college your... admissions office, your cares what happened before ninth grade. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I should have told her that. I was like, you need to save all your stress for adulthood. I mean, no need yeah. for it now. It only gets harder. Um, but yeah, oh, that makes me, that makes me sad thinking about just the pressure just only gets worse these poor kids. Um, all right. Can you, let's talk about scholarships though. You mentioned like third party scholarships. So mm-hmm. um, are, what resources are out there? Are there search engines? Are there websites where like people can search for scholarships? You know, I know that like some large employers offer scholarships or foundations, you know, associations. Um, what, but like, do people just stumble upon these or are there any resource besides you personally, or maybe that, maybe that's the answer. You're the resource. Um, I just didn't know if there were search engines or, I mean, other than Google. Yeah, you know, oh, oh no, but. you had it right, Alyssa. We are the, uh, it's you. It's Vested yeah, Academics. No, we, 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 yeah. We, we no, are no, the river through which all scholarships run. It's oh. all through Vested Academics. We're yeah. the gatekeepers here. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I, I would have to say that, you know, it, it really can vary depending upon how committed you are to, uh, making that scholarship search happen. Mm-hmm. And I get it. It's really easy to get burnt out, especially when there are these big BAFO awards that are really attractive to families, the 15, the 20, the $25,000 scholarships. Mm-hmm. Um, but bear in mind too, that you're not the only one who noticed that. And there are going to be a lot, a lot of people applying for that same award. Now I'm not saying don't dream big. I'm not saying don't go for it, 
But the reality of it is there are a lot of other smaller scholarships that are being offered out there. Maybe you find them through a search engine. Maybe you find them right in your backyard. I'm going to get into that. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of smaller scholarships for maybe 100, 250, 500, possibly $1,000 that you can pick up because they have very shallow applicant pools. Virtually nobody's applying to them because they see the amount of money. They turn up their nose at it. You string enough of those together, you have money to pay for books. You just paid for books for both semesters of school. My mother earned $250. She got a $250 scholarship from Colgate toothpaste because she wrote them an essay about how much she loved their toothpaste and (laughs) that paid for books for one semester at community college for her. Good for her. So no, I mean, there's money to be found everywhere, but yeah, as I was saying, we do have uh, scholarship engines um, that are out there that you can, uh, utilize to your advantage. I consider them to be very similar to dating profiles. You create an account. uh, You don't have to put up a cheesy picture, but you list your likes, your hobbies, your background information, and they match you with scholarship and grant opportunities based on their algorithm. And maybe they'll be updating you about any approaching deadlines, but yeah, they can do the heavy lifting for you. So it's nice to be able to have that type of concierge service. Now, that being said, I feel like there's a lot of money to also be made right in your backyard. And Mm -hmm. this is something that so many people don't realize that there's a lot of money to be found right here in their own community, whether that's approaching your Elks Club or your Lions Club or your Rotary Club, or maybe the Daughters of the American Revolution, just reaching out to community uh, organizations and civic groups who are really keen on recognizing graduating uh, high school seniors who are achieving and they're going to college or they're going to be representing the community. They Mm -hmm. want to honor that representation. They want to be a part of that young person's life story and they want to be there to support them. And I'll be honest. I mean, the, there. this is where a lot of the uh, smaller uh, amounts come in, the 100 the 250 the $500 scholarships. But because nobody is asking around, and maybe they're not the best at advertising themselves either, but because nobody's asking and maybe they're not advertising themselves, the money never gets awarded, or maybe it just goes into the pocket of a child of one of the members. So I certainly encourage families to reach out to these organizations. And, you know, honestly, the worst thing they can tell you is no. Yeah. No. Sorry, not right now, not at this time. We're not doing this here. But at least you got an answer and you just move on to the next one. Another resource that a lot of people um, are typically overlooking, your chamber of commerce. There are local businesses and entrepreneurs who are really keen, as I said, on being a part of that young person's life story of sponsoring their college education. If you go to your chamber of commerce and you ask, are there any local businesses or firms or entrepreneurs who have scholarships that they're willing to offer, maybe a law firm or your local credit union. The Chamber of Commerce can also be a wealth of information. As I said, because it's local, because it's right in your backyard, there's going to be a very shallow applicant pool because you're not competing with people from all over the country for that yeah. 15, that 20, that $25,000 award. You're keeping it local. You're keeping it uh, right there in your backyard. So that's my recommendation for looking for scholarships. The other thing too, it's just so easy to get burnt out and I get it. It's really hard, especially like when you're a high school student, you're in your senior year, you're trying to navigate the college application process. You have your extracurriculars, you have an active social life, perhaps maybe you're working a part-time job and now you have to apply for scholarships because applying for scholarships can feel a lot like having a second part-time job. Um, Normally what I would advise a family to do would be to try to focus on at least one scholarship a month. 
but just to have at okay. least like that one scholarship that they can use as their target that they can apply to. And who knows that essay that you wrote, maybe that can be repurposed for other scholarships too. Um, just be sure to remove the uh, other organization's name uh, from the application. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm but, actually, yeah. I was just going to tell a but quick yeah, story. Just avoid getting burnt out. Yeah, I can imagine how there's just no energy for that at that point in their life. And they just want to be done with school and looking ahead yeah. to summer and beyond. And so we have, um, I think, you know, we've done a finance education fair at Marshfield High. We've done it for, I don't know, seven or eight years now. We did not. And in the last few years, um, sort of like piggybacking off of the, the Smart With Money Fair, we offered three, I don't know, if we, we used to do like three scholarships. And so it would be like you had to attend the fair and mm-hmm. then write a little essay on, you know, what does it mean to be financially responsible or something like that? I mean, we've done that for the last few years. Now, last year, we didn't have the money fair because of COVID and we, we couldn't mm-hmm. do an in-person and we just didn't have the time to put it online. Um but we still offered the scholarship. So we put in the senior book, the scholarship book that all the seniors get, we were still offering the scholarships. And all the only requirement was, I think it was just like writing an essay on what does it mean to you to be financially responsible? And we were giving, in the past, we gave out three scholarships. And I'm pretty sure last couple of years ago, we did three $1,000 scholarships. And this year we got one, this past year we got one application. I know. It's insane. It's crazy. And that's the thing like I would tell my work study students when I was uh, in charge of them um, that, you know, you guys are paying enough money to be here to write essays. You might as well get paid for it. Yeah. And just because you're in college doesn't mean you have to stop applying for scholarships. There are those institutional scholarships that I mentioned that you can start going for this spring semester of your freshman year. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, just right to your point, there are a lot of uh, shallow applicant pools that can be found like right here in your backyard. I even remember uh, one of my uh, last employers, I was breaking my back, like trying to get students to film a five minute video to apply for a $10,000 scholarship. You oh, just need to wow. Film a five minute video. And they probably film you. themselves on video all exactly. the time. You're on TikTok right? all the time. All the time. Could yeah. it kill you to just do this yeah. for five minutes to get $10,000? Wow. And it's like, I shouldn't have to pull teeth to give somebody $10,000, but you know, what people was, got priorities. What was, the vid- what was the video? Was it a very hard question to answer or what? No, it, I mean, it was uh, working at a medical school, you know, just talking about your goals as an aspiring uh, doctor um, yeah. and, you know, what you've been doing um, toward wow. reaching that goal and how you plan to uh, use this money to help uh, advance your career and help others. Wow. So, yeah, clearly they would have to sit down and like make an outline and be prepared oh, yeah. to do a no, good job with exactly. that. But still, but still, yeah, five minute video should wouldn't be all that difficult for for someone that age. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. But yeah, that's a good idea. Reaching out to local chambers of commerce just to they would have connections and um, could get the word out. I happen to be involved in the Marshfield Chamber of Commerce, and I I don't think we've ever received, to my knowledge, haven't received any inquiries specifically about scholarships, but would be happy to point someone in the right direction if if we did get that call. So you will now. Um, yeah, we, we definitely we definitely will now. Sorry, Lara, you're going to get inundated with calls regarding uh, what businesses offer scholarships. I'm sure Lara will know multiple. Um, okay, let's get into um, we've. I guess we should talk. Can we talk for a few minutes about the EFC, the expected family contribution? And I feel like we could spend 60 minutes on this, but I don't want to spend that much time on it. 
-hmm. I just want to talk through the FAFSA and that expected family contribution because it does come up quite a bit in these discussions. And then I want to kind of go into, um, I, I get, I just get questions a lot about how can I position myself to maximize my financial aid? Um, and you and I know that that, that, has to be done, first of all, well in advance, like freshman yeah. year, you have to be starting to think about these things if you're going to be doing any positioning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, we can talk through it a little bit, but in my opinion, there's, there's not always a whole lot you can do to, to position yourself without putting yourself in a bad financial position. So, mm-hmm. um, so let, let's just talk through that for a minute. But before we get there, um, so... I've never filled out the FAFSA myself, but um, the- Oh, you should. It's fun. I, yeah, I filled out a a sample, uh, what's it called? Um, Like mini calculators, but I've never gone through the actual Mm -hmm. FAFSA. We've actually had people call in to say, uh, call into the office and ask us um, if if we consult- yeah. Uh, with for filling out FAFSA and I don't and I'm pretty sure I've sent them your way before because um, I wouldn't know who else to send them to. Um, do you guys do that, by the way? Do you do? Yeah, we are here okay. to assist with any FAFSA or CSS profile questions that you may have. Maybe you okay. filled it out already, but you haven't hit the submit button yet. If you want that second set of eyes, we can do that for you. Oh, okay, perfect. Yeah, and I think we have sent maybe people your way um, in the past on that, just because I don't know any other resources for people in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. So there are, I've just, um, I've played around with EFC calculators before, these expected family contribution calculators. There are simple calculators online, and I know that they're not perfect and they don't replace uh, the exact number you'd get on the FAFSA, but it seems to be in, in my experience that you can get some good information from that in terms oh, yeah. of um, w- like ballpark where you might be in terms of your expected family contribution. So for those listeners that don't know uh, much about it, basically you can, you know, there are calculators online where you can enter, um, you know, the family's income, the family assets, and it will talk about, you know, don't enter retirement assets, enter, you know, uh, assets mm-hmm. exclusive of your, of your primary residence and um and your retirement assets. And um, you'll enter, you know, students' income and student assets if they have any, you know, how many kids you have. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, are, what are the other big things? It's, it's just assets, income from the parent, from the student. Mm-hmm. Um, household many, size. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, household size. And the size. other thing that they're uh, looking at too, um, they're going back two years. It's called prior, prior year information. So it's really important to your listeners that if they're filing the FAFSA right now for the 2022-23 academic year, only put down 2020 tax information. Do not update the FAFSA with 2021 information when you go to file your 2021 taxes. That's not what they're interested in. That's not what they're looking for. Just keep it to 2020. Okay. So I thought they needed two tax returns. I thought they were going back two tax years now. Oh, but I guess uh, it's two tax years. Yeah, two back. years. Yeah. So they're looking at 2020 for the 2022-23 year. Got it. Okay. So that's, yeah. So that's why I was, like I tell my clients, if you're going to do any sort of planning in order to lower your expected family contribution, you would have to do that like a few, like by when your student's like a freshman, right? You have to start having, you know, doing these things pretty early on because now that they're, they're going back two tax years um, on the FAFSA. But really in order to reduce 
your expected family contribution. Like some people want to know how can I position myself better to reduce my expected family contribution, which would help maximize financial aid. Really the things you can do are reduce assets mm-hmm. or reduce income. Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of like, maybe there are things like if you have an abundance of cash and you, you know, you need a car anyway, well, maybe, you know, you do that yeah. when they're a freshman so that it's not on the books when they're a sophomore, right? Yeah. Stuff like that. But um, it, there's really no, I, 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 there's not very many really good ways to make yourself uh, to lower your EFC without putting yourself in a bad financial position, right? Like if you have $50,000 yeah. of cash in the bank as an emergency reserves, you like still should probably have it, you know, yeah. and there are some funky things that people can do, like put it in an annuity or put it into an insurance policy, but it, it's, it's, it's not a perfect solution because you're taking something liquid and accessible yeah. and, and you're, and you're making it inaccessible or yeah. um, things like that. It's, like, it's, it's a tricky needle to thread. And- yeah. It gets even more challenging when you're pairing the FAFSA with the CSS profile. And on the CSS profile, you are reporting retirement annuities Mm. and you can't hide that. And you can't hide the uh, value of your primary residence either. And yeah, as you pointed out, retirement annuities, uh, your home value, that's not reflected on the FAFSA. They're only really interested in your annual income, your assets, Mm -hmm. your family size. Um, But one thing that I definitely want your listeners to be keeping in mind is that assets held in the student's name are assessed at a much higher value yep. than the parent's name. A parent's assets are assessed at about 6% of their mm-hmm. actual value, mm-hmm. whereas if it's in the student's name, it's assessed at 25% of its value. Mm, yeah, good point. And I have these conversations with young parents and uh, and grandparents who are thinking about tucking money away for college. And we have this conversation about, well, a yeah. 529 college savings account is in the social security number of the parent or the grandparent. It's not in the kid's social. So that's better from a financial aid perspective when you Mm -hmm. compare it with like some people who, you know, either put money in a savings account in the kid's social security number, for example, or there are these investment accounts called the UTMA or the UGMA where it's not like college specific money, but you can tuck money away for, for a student. And those are, are, they count heavily against, um, Oh yeah. That EFC. So yeah, these are conversations I have with young parents as well. And, and glad that you pointed, um, pointed that out. Yeah. Yeah. So having like 50 grand in a UTMA, um, is great because there's 50 grand there you can use for the student and for college, but that's going to really, really increase your expected family contribution because it's in the student social. Oh, absolutely. Uh, And my advice around 529s, um, mm-hmm. Put it in grandma's name, put it in grandpa's name. Don't put it in your parents' name if you can avoid it, only because while one parent has to report their asset information on the FAFSA, the CSS profile will ask for both parents' mm-hmm. information that they're looking at specifically. You can't hide the fact if you file taxes together, if you're married filing jointly, both of your incomes are still on the FAFSA. Mm-hmm. But if you have that uh, 529 college savings account, in your name as the parent, you do have to report that as an asset along with Mm -hmm. your stocks, your bonds, your mutual funds. And it gets even trickier when you have 529s for multiple children. But if they're in the grandparent's name, you're not reporting your grandparents' information on the FAFSA. Your grandparents, in many cases, may not be your legal guardian. Not yet. Not yet. And the other uh, tricky thing with that 
is that you are going to want to wait on getting those uh, assets uh, distributed from the 529 plan. I typically tell families to wait until the spring semester of their sophomore year of school, because when we're looking at prior, prior year, Mm -hmm. any withdrawals that were made starting the spring semester of your sophomore year, they are not going to be factored into future FAFSA calculations through the end of your senior year. It may come back to bite you when you're in graduate school, but by that point, you're only getting loans. Right. So if it's in the grandparents' name, use it for like the last couple of years. The 529, yep. but it, when 529s are in the parent name, you're going to want to use those up early, right? To get yep. them off the, to get them off the really, I guess you can really only do that like freshman year so that for the final year when you're applying, mm-hmm. um, it's not declared as a parent's asset. But yeah, definitely some strategy there regard, uh, when it comes to who owns the 529 assets. Um, all right, we need to um, take a quick break. I will come back. One more um, little segment we have. I do want to talk about, Um, We talked a little bit about planning ahead. We wanted to talk a little bit about student loans Mm -hmm. um, and the payback strategies and things like that. So um, we'll wrap up the show uh, with that. Uh, uh, You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We're just taking a quick break. We've been chatting with Joe Novenson, who's a financial aid consultant with Vested Academics. Uh, We've been talking all things college and financial aid and college savings and the cost of college and all that stuff. So this has been a great show. Um, I'm taking copious notes over here too, uh, learning so much. Uh, We're just taking a quick break. We'll be right back. Are you ready to get organized? Let's consolidate those old accounts and make sure your investment strategies are appropriate. This is Kirk Reed, a certified financial planner with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Find out more at McNamaraFinancial.com. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We've been talking about how much will college really cost you? Um, My guest this morning is Joe Novenson. He's a financial aid consultant with Vested Academics. You can find out more about him at vestedacademics.com. Multiple offices in Massachusetts, and I'm sure like everybody else, you're doing a lot virtually these days, right? And I think you guys were even before. I think I knew you guys before COVID and you were doing a lot of virtual Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, And everyone else has caught up to you now, everyone else in the world. Wish we didn't have to be the trendsetters. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a good trend to have set. I mean, yeah. man, life is easier. And I can now take board meetings at 7 p.m. from my house or 8.30 a.m. from my house, stuff like that. It's just, it's great. It's great for a lot of reasons. Um, well, COVID itself wasn't great, of course, but some of the things that came from it, I think we're good. Um, all right, let's let's sort of wrap up this last segment here, um, which something we didn't cover last time you were on the show, I don't think, but we wanted to talk about um, student loans and payback strategies. Um, so another question that I get uh, quite frequently from people and something that I'm not an expert on, I know that there are some options out there with regards to consolidation. Um, and, you know, generally when it comes to debt, my advice is uh, pay it back as fast as possible. Start with the highest interest rate debt um, and, and do what you can while balancing, the, you know, other things in your life. But um, if you have anything to add, that would be amazing in the world of uh, student loan payback. No, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to start by talking about the different types of loans that are available. Okay. Um, I will always, 
always encourage a family to apply for FAFSA before anything else. And just by filling out the application itself, you can qualify a student for $5,500 their first year. Then that can be followed up by $6,500 as a sophomore. And then for their junior and senior years, they're eligible for $7,500 in federal student loans. Now, the benefit to these loans, you're not going to hear me say the benefit to loans very often, but the benefit Mm -hmm. to these loans specifically is if you do qualify for a subsidized loan, um, that loan doesn't accumulate any interest while you're in school, while you're taking classes. So that's a really big relief for a lot of families. And there will always be an unsubsidized loan option um, that's included as part of that financial aid package. And yes, that does accumulate interest while your child's in school. However, you do have the option of making interest-only payments on that rather than waiting for your child to graduate and then have that interest that accumulated capitalized and added to the principal balance. Yeah, that makes sense. And subsidized, mm -hmm. who's receiving subsidized loan is just based on need, right? That's a income threshold or... Yeah. So this is actually, this this dovetails uh, with what we were talking about earlier, the cost of attendance. So like, let's say, for example, um, just throwing that out there, uh, college A, their cost of attendance is $85,000. If your expected family contribution came in under $85,000, then you would be eligible potentially for a uh, direct subsidized loan. If it came in, yeah, $85,001, well, you still get $5,500, but it's all in a direct unsubsidized loan now. So it's directly based on your EFC. It's directly, yeah, it's influenced by your EFC. Oh, I never knew that, Joe. I'm so glad you're here. Okay, so that's the whether it's subsidized or unsubsidized. Correct. But as long every... as it doesn't exceed the EFC, it'll be okay. subsidized as long as it's in that range of $3,500, uh, $4,500, or $5,500 in subsidized aid your freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior years. Okay, so everyone is everyone qualifies for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's subsidized or unsubsidized is different, but everyone qualifies for that if they just simply fill out the FAFSA. Absolutely. Okay. All right. And then what? The other types of loans are private or direct with the institution or private? Uh, Depends on the institution. Um, Some of the more moneyed schools, they may have uh, loan repayment assistance programs where they're actually able to offer institutional loans that can be repaid um, either at a discounted rate or maybe the loan doesn't accumulate any interest while that student's uh, taking classes or maybe they're pursuing an advanced degree, maybe they're doing a residency. Um, Then at that point, maybe it's not accumulated interest. So that's one example right there. Um, But the other... uh, options that are available to a family is just looking at the private marketplace. Um, There are so many different companies that do offer uh, private education loans, also referred to as alternative loans. Um, But you don't have to necessarily go with a big national brand name. You could also uh, try looking again in your backyard, maybe your local bank or your credit union, they have a loan program. Uh, AAA, believe it or not, they have student loans too. So if you're a AAA member, you could potentially get your child signed up for a loan. Um, But the other thing I do want to point out is that in addition to the direct loans that are in your child's name for filling out the FAFSA, as a parent, you could apply for something that's called the Parent PLUS Loan. And what the PLUS Loan does is it essentially helps cover any remaining tuition and fees. And then the remainder can be used to help with those other costs. If you still need money for room and board, or maybe you need a little additional cash for uh, books and supplies, a laptop, uh, you name it. Um, That's where the Parent PLUS Loan can come in. Now, 
This is the tricky thing with the Parent PLUS loan, and this is why it's so important that a family be aware of a school's cost of attendance, because a financial aid office can approve a Parent PLUS loan up to a school's cost of attendance. So your child, let's say they're going to college A again, it's an $85,000 cost of attendance. They get that $5,500 right out the door. Your child then potentially could qualify uh, with you for a Parent PLUS loan up to that $85,000 figure. So let me just uh, throw that in my calculator right now. So not only is your child carrying a $5,500 loan debt, you potentially could have as much as $79,500 toward your child's cost of attendance. Do I encourage people to borrow up to the cost of attendance? Absolutely not. I always tell people, borrow only what you need. Please put down a number on your Parent PLUS application because if you just say max amount, you're telling me I want a loan now for $79,500. Our, the PLUS loan is not a federal program, is it? It is actually oh, a federal it program. It is a federal yes. program. It is a okay. federal program. Uh, the tricky thing with the PLUS loan is while the child's the beneficiary on the loan and it's used to pay for their education, it's still in the parent's name. It appears on their credit report. Um, they're legally on the hook for it. Uh, that doesn't mean your child can't help you on the back end with repayment. Uh, but the reality of the situation is that it's your responsibility as the parent to repay that loan. It can never be transferred into the child's name. So did you just say that, okay, that it can never be transferred into the child's name. Did you just say that a parent can get a plus loan for any amount of money up to the cost of what, what the cost of up to the cost of attendance, up to the so cost of yeah. attendance minus the minus any other aid they have. Okay. So, yeah, and that and that's what I uh, tell wow. families yeah, in okay. advance. You know, just be aware of that. And I mean, this is th- this really like just strikes at the heart um, of the situation we find ourselves in right now because we're at a place in time right now where you don't have the luxury of finding yourself at college. If you're looking to find yourself, then maybe you should go to a community college. Maybe you should start where the stakes are pretty low. Because I can remember a time I was working at a school. Uh, we offered a degree in music therapy. Uh, not going to knock it. I'm. They're out there doing really great stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the challenge that I had working with this one student, uh, mother was an employee at Saver. She really wasn't making that much money, but she would always be able to borrow up to the cost of attendance in, gra- in Parent PLUS loans. And that's the thing with Parent PLUS is they're not looking at how much money you're making. They're looking to see whether or not you have an adverse credit history. Yeah. And what they mean by adverse credit history, they're looking at have you been foreclosed on? Or have you declared bankruptcy in the past five years? Or if in the past two years, you've gone into collections on more than $2,500 of credit card debt. If none of those three apply to you, you can have as much as you need up to the cost of attendance. And it's insane. That's scary. Putting a lot of strain on families. That's really scary. This actually explains a lot because I've met people throughout the course of my career that just have way more debt related to college than they can afford. And I've just been like, you know, wondering how is that possible? How are who is lending them this money that they cannot afford to pay back. So yeah. that's really scary that there's no Oh, it gets even worse. No it gets questions worse. being asked. No, let me, let me <sighs> tell you, it gets worse. So with the federal direct loans, the uh, $5,500 that your child can qualify for in their first year, let's say they go on to graduate school, they get a master's degree. Your child can never borrow more than $224,000 in their own name. 
The scary thing about the Para Plus loan and later on in graduate school as the Graduate Plus loan, there's no cap on that. Oh my God. You can borrow an unlimited amount of money as long as it's at the cost of attendance, but there are no caps at the moment. That's really scary. It is really scary. <laughs> that's a, so the federal, that's a federal program. Yeah. With like um, no underwriting. So it's just, wow. Yeah. That's really scary. I mean, it's nice that there's credit available for people trying to get their kids through school, but there should be some sort of underwriting, you know, regarding ability to pay that amount of money back. There should be some qualification. And if you can't afford to pay that back, then you can't afford that school. You can't afford to send your child to that school. And and that's what I was uh, speaking to like earlier on uh, about the student that was pursuing music therapy. And I'm sure she's out there doing great things, helping people. But the fact of the matter was her mother's working at Savers. Mom would routinely borrow $40,000 in a parent plus loan, you know, by the end of her child's uh, four-year degree program, she will have borrowed $160,000 this woman's going to die in debt. Yeah, that's really sad. And that's really sad, but they've that's accepted really that. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really sad that that has to be somebody's lot in life. So that's why it's really important, um, not only when you're trying to figure out how much financial assistance you're going to need when you're looking at your loans, to not only borrow what you need, but even just looking at what your career options are. And I really wish yeah. somebody had sat me down at 18 and had just like, pulled up the uh, Department of Labor Statistics and told me, okay, Joe, so you're talking about becoming a reporter someday. Well, that sounds really great. Kudos to you. But, you know, here are how many reporters there are in the state of New York right now. And here's their average salary. And here's like a 10-year projection. So if you're borrowing more than 90% of the average starting salary for your career to go to your dream school, that school is going to be your nightmare. Yeah, Your that's debt good, is going to be astronomical. Good, so try yeah. to figure out beforehand. And I, I get it. It's a lot to put on somebody's shoulders, especially at that young age, and ask them, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Nobody told me I'd end up in financial aid. Nobody told me I'd be on your radio show today. Yeah. Um, but if you have an idea of what you want to do, it doesn't hurt to figure out what is the average starting salary of that profession. Yeah, and absolutely. will I have to borrow more than 90% to get to that point where I can just start off at that range? So I've actually done some spreadsheeting in the, recently for some clients and I love to get into this stuff. Like I had a client not long ago, so, you know, he was having these conversations with his um, high school senior about, um, you know, which school were they choosing and, and all the financials associated with it. And I was like, hey, show him this. So I put together a little budget and, you know, my spreadsheet has multiple tabs, right? And one is, you know, what does life look like upon graduation if you're in in, income is this, which was like an average based on what he was going for. And, you know, I put in rent and food and, you know, fun stuff and, and a car expenses and all that stuff. And this is what your life, a 401k contribution, of course. And this is what your life looks like. And this is how much money you can spend um, if you have no debt. And then I did like another tab for, you know, 30,000 a debt and then another tab for 75,000 a debt. And the like numbers speak louder than words. That was right there on paper that, you know, with the 70,000 in debt, there was no extra money for anything fun. He was living at home, right? He couldn't afford rent in this hypothetical example. And that's really powerful to see it right there. Um, because I, 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 it's just, it doesn't seem, I, I know that most high school juniors and seniors have no 
they can't grasp the impact of that in their life. It's kind of like, oh, I'll be making money. I'll pay it pay it back and worry about it later. They just, they can't grasp the impact of it. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think it's uh, the parents, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe not responsibility, but would be really helpful for parents to, mm-hmm. you know, show them some of these numbers and talk them through it. And this is, this is yeah. what it would be like and all that. So that's kind of yeah. fun for me to do that stuff. And no, you're right. Make it a family affair, like yeah. start working it together as a family, show that you're actively interested um, yeah. in your child's future career. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily poo-poo it if they're going to become a reporter or let's say they're looking at puppetry, for example, they're going to go to the <laughs> university of Connecticut. They're going to get that proximity tuition. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- th- there could be really great things for them in their future. Yeah. Um, but then it's on you as a family to figure out, okay, well then what's the right financial fit. Do I go to this pricey small liberal arts college or, mm. you know, maybe I can be- get a better deal for them at a state school. So that's when, you know, the rubber hits the road and families start making these hard decisions. And while it's never fun to tell your child that, they can't have what they want. And I'm starting to feel that now with my 15 month old. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, but yeah. it's, it, it's, it's, it, 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 you're, you're saving them. You're, you're saving them so much trouble in the long run. You're saving them from so much pain. Um, when we're just talking about having to repay that debt and what it ultimately means for them and the choices that they're going to be able to have. And I'll be honest, when I first started out in the workforce and I was actually able to you know, realize my dream, I became a reporter. I really wasn't making that much money. And I had borrowed at least $46,000 to put myself through school. And I was maybe making about $28,000, $29,000 annually. Oh, I yeah. was being paid $12 an hour. There was no overtime. So if like an angry sea monster rose up from the Hudson <laughs> River and like lay waste to half the city, I wouldn't get any overtime for that because I didn't file for the advance. <laughs> I know. And like, I'm serious here. Like yeah. my, my, my real uh, rock bottom moment, I'd have to say, um, I was reporting on a multiple vehicle accident and I was stationed at a, a, gas, sta- a gas station. I was at the uh, convenience store there. I was in their little booth, like just trying to write up my notes as quickly as I could. And uh, I noticed outside that they were hiring for a part-time attendant. And I saw that that part-time attendant would be making as much money as I did working <laughs> a full-time 40-hour week job. And I thought, holy crap. This is terrible. <laughs> this, is, this is my break even more. Like, I got to get out of here. Like, I got to okay. find something else for me to do because this isn't sustainable. And yeah. it was a tough choice. I remember those were very lean times. I had to choose between my student loan payment. I had to choose between rent. I had to choose between food. I probably lost 30 pounds in those, those 16 months that I wrote for that newspaper. Oh my I'm glad I got to live the dream. I'm glad I got my name on a front page. But you know, cool. ultimately, my dream job became my nightmare. And I'm glad I got out of it. And I got right back into financial aid. And yeah. here I am helping connect people with the uh, resources they need to get to and through school. Yeah. So tell, so tell us about loan repayment strategies. So we know sure, there's different course. types of loan. There's the, the na- some loans in the student's name, those direct loans, right? In the mm-hmm. student's name, plus loans are in the parent name. And then private institutions obviously would give out loans. Most likely the parent's name is on it, right? I don't know what private bank is lending to an 18-year-old, but most likely yeah. to the parent, right? No, you're um, right. It would be the student's name on the loan, uh, but the parent would still be on the hook technically because yep. they'll have to co-sign. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely before they co-sign, try to figure out which parent 
um, has the higher credit score because obviously okay. the higher the credit score, the lower the child's interest rate will be. Um, also important too, just when we're talking about fixed versus variable rates. Um, I try to encourage families um, to consider, you know, here's what's available through the federal government. First, you can get this Parent PLUS loan right now at a 6.28% fixed rate. If you can do better than that in the private marketplace, by all means, go for it. I'm not mm -hmm. going to discourage you from doing that, but there are caveats. And I will say with the federal loans, there's a lot more flexibility in terms of repayment. You can at least put oh. these loans on an income-driven repayment plan. Even if you have a Parent PLUS loan, there's an income-contingent repayment plan that can stretch out repayment um, to as long as you need to up to 20 to 25 years. Um, ideally, you don't find yourself in that situation, but yeah. at least your payments could be based off of your annual uh, gross income okay. versus the amount of debt that you borrowed. Okay. So that's one benefit to the federal loans. Um, the private loans, and I'm seeing this right now working with a couple of my students. Um, I'm just talking about Sally May, for example. Sally May, they do in-school deferment for up to 48 months. Um, so you have okay. four years, essentially, to get your act together. Um, graduate on time A after and... graduate after graduation. No, oh, no, no. During oh, the, while you're in school. Years of school. Oh, sorry. Okay. While you're in school. Yeah. And you know they may require you to pay. At last, I uh, heard when I was working with a student, they might require you to pay maybe as little as twenty five dollars in interest a month just to keep those interest charges down. Okay. But they will give you at least that forty eight month deferment period while you're in school. But once you're out of school, you're past that forty eight months. I mean, you're in deep trouble, especially mm. if you're not able to get a forbearance. And I've had situations where students are past the 48 months, they're past their forbearance option. Yeah. And now it's just like finding themselves in a situation where they got their backs against the wall. And, you know, mm. maybe they're going on for a fellowship or they're doing a residency and they can get a little bit more relief up to 60 months. Um, but the reality of the situation is that with private loans, if you don't have their money, they're going to tell you to go jump in a lake. They don't care. They don't <laughs> want to hear your sob story. They want to be yeah. paid. Yeah. Are there, to my knowledge, there's not a whole lot of options in terms of loan consolidation. Like Citizens Bank is like the only bank I've heard that people could ever consolidate with. And I don't even know how great the rates are. I mean, they're probably yeah. not much lower than six or 7% right now. But do you know of any other consolidation options or anything that's helpful for graduates? Other than just yeah. my, my advice is like, well, just pay back the loans, just pay as much as you can. Yeah. Start the highest interest rate loans, just pay back the loans. Um, what, so uh, there are consolidations out there, both federal and private. You can consolidate yeah. your federal loans into a federal direct consolidation loan. Benefit to that is you can still put that on an income driven repayment plan. Um, okay. Alternatively, as I said, there are private loan options that can consolidate all your existing federal debt into a private loan. They can even buy up some of your private debt and put it into all in that single consolidation loan. Okay. Problem with that is once your federal debt uh, gets uh, combined into that consolidation loan, you lose all of those income-based repayment protections. So okay. now you're at the bank's mercy. Um, the thing that I would really encourage families to do when talking about consolidation and loan repayment, um, first and foremost, if you're going with a private loan, see if they offer cosigner release. Now, okay. cosigner release is a little known gift that a lot of families don't <laughs> realize that they have right there in their back pocket. That was actually my birthday gift to my father 10 years ago. He took his name I finally, off. I got his name off of that $16,000 loan I had to borrow from KeyBank to pay for my senior year. Okay. That KeyBank, KeyBank's out of the student loan game, but they gave me a hard time. They didn't want to believe that I made 36 consecutive on-time monthly payments. They, oh. fought me for it. they fought me for it for three months. 
I finally wore them down and they had to concede that, yes, I met the conditions of the cosigner release. They dropped my father from the loan. It no longer showed up on his credit report Mm. and he's no longer legally responsible for the remaining amount. And that is a huge benefit to parents who have to cosign for their children. So definitely ask about that upfront and try to get that in writing because the hard reality of it is they're not going to remind you at the time that you're eligible. They're not going to send you a text. They're not going to email you. They're not going to do any skywriting over your house. They're hoping you forget they would rather you forget because they don't want that safety valve turned off yeah. in case the student defaults. They want to be able to turn around and get the cosigner on the hook. And what's that called? Cosigner release? Cosigner release. Okay. So ask about that upfront and what the terms and conditions are. In many cases, um, you have to be making a certain amount of consecutive on-time monthly payments. It could be as little as two years. It could be three years or longer than that. They're also going to want to see the student's income and whether or not they're earning enough of a regular income to afford um, their monthly payment before they turn off the cosigner release. Okay. But as I said, this is a benefit that a lot of people aren't taking advantage of and the lenders aren't going to remind them. Right. Okay. I'm still stuck on the fact that there's like no income requirements for plus loans and there's no limit to the amount that can be taken out. That's really scary. Yeah. That's really, really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. We just have three or four minutes uh, left for today. So anything else that we that you can think of in your discussions with students that we missed? Oh, I have one more question for you. Mm-hmm. You um, obviously work with a lot of students and parents. Yes. What percent or <laughs> I guess what percent or how many of the students that you work with are really... Let me back up. All of the parents that you work with are focused on the financials, right? Yes. Almost all of them. What percent of the students are making choices based on the financials or asking questions about the financials or how important is it to them? More than people might assume. Oh, that's good. I I see that especially now with Gen Z. They are a lot more savvy when they're talking about the price of college because they've seen what their older millennial brothers and sisters have been through. They've seen the economy bottom out. They've seen how much their older siblings have had to struggle with their student loan debt. Mm -hmm. And they don't want that same burden on their shoulders. And yeah, they are being a lot more savvy in terms of where they're going to go to school, how long they're going to do it for. Maybe I do two years at a state school and I transfer to the private school of my choice. Maybe I do my prereqs at community college and then I transfer into another school. Maybe I do those AP classes right now while I'm a senior. I was able to uh, start my freshman year off with 15 credits right off the bat, help me graduate on time. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a huge benefit um, to be aware of that and to have those options on the table. But yeah, generally speaking, I find that they are a lot more uh, scrutinizing um, when they're looking at their future and what that might possibly mean for them, especially as the cost of college continues to rise. That's actually quite refreshing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Good. Um, what about community colleges? Popular right now? Not popular? Always same, popular. Same old story. Oh, good. Yeah. Same old story. I mean, and I feel like, and this is the tricky thing with college, is that when you're trying to apply to college, you're trying to apply to a network. You're trying to get into that inner circle. You're trying to essentially find yourself in that right position where you're surrounded by enough people who can help you advance both personally and professionally. You're trying to buy into that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say that you can't have those opportunities at community college. And as I said earlier in the broadcast, 
you don't really have the luxury of finding yourself anymore at college. Maybe a community college where the stakes are lower and you're not paying as much. Um, But the reality of the situation is that, yeah, there are benefits to be had by going to community college, getting your prereqs out of the way, and then you don't have to waste your time during your first two years of school reading and doing things that aren't relevant to your major, that aren't pertinent to your course of study, that you can just bang those out and then you can go to school and you can roll up your sleeves and start doing what you really want to do. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know that that's being taken advantage of and quite a cost savings for students that do that. Absolutely. I mean, incredible. Yeah. All right. Well, we are about out of time. It always goes by faster than I think it will because, well, when you're talking about what you love and you clearly love what you do and are are just, like I said, a wealth of knowledge. So thank you so much for being here today. Um, This has been Joe Novenson, who's a financial aid consultant with Vested Academics. You can find out more about him at vestedacademics.com. Vested Academics does more than just financial aid consulting. They do, uh, help me, academic coaching, uh, school selection, essay writing, coaching, all that stuff, right? And even helping students when they're in college and years beyond, right? So the whole enchilada. Awesome. I think it's a great resource and you guys seem to be kind of like a unicorn. I just, I don't know that there's a lot of uh, firms like yours. So I think it's a great resource for for parents and for students. So um, thank you again for being here. This has been awesome. Um, You've been listening to McNamara on Money. Hope you enjoyed the show today. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You can find out more about me at McNamaraFinancial.com. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye.